Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, good morning, y'all. How are we doing? Good, awesome. Uh, my name is Josh. I am a teaching pastor here at the District Church. For you guys who don't know me, um, hello, welcome. Um, we are continuing through our series in Acts this morning. Uh, we're actually going to take some time and look at Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Um, and so this week and next, uh, you're going to get me. So if you came for Dwayne, I apologize. Um, I know I don't have that southern accent, so I can try, but it'll sound terrible. So um, don't skip out next week either, just because you know I'm preaching. Um, yeah, so we're going to be looking at Pentecost uh, and what uh, Peter had to preach the first sermon as the first church grew. Um, and what we've been looking at is how the first church kind of began, right? The last couple of weeks, uh, we have taken a look at uh, the call for the apostles to go and preach the name of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And then they've been told, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here last week, we saw that the Spirit came, right? Dwayne talked about the Spirit coming with a rushing wind, and all of a sudden the apostles are able to speak in tongues. They're able to speak different languages. If you even go back to that passage, what caught me, and I would love to be a fly on the wall when this happened, was fire rested on people's shoulders. So like you're in a room with your boys, you're praying, hoping for the Holy Spirit to come, and then all of a sudden, rushing wind comes, and there's fire on a guy sitting next to you. And you're like, wait a minute, Peter, you're not burning, but you're on fire. Like, I'd have loved to see that. Um, and then with that rushing wind, it's so loud that the multitudes of people, thousands of people come out and are wondering what's going on. And so this is the scene that Luke sets up for us. This is the scene that Peter walks into. And we see these people respond in two different ways. And you'll see this today. They respond in awestruck awe, or they respond thinking that, you know, these dudes are drunk. And so it'll be interesting to see what Peter has to say to them. But this is the scene that Luke sets us up in. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some laid out next to you. Uh, you can use that. If you don't have one next to you, there should be verses up on the screen. And you can follow along with me. While you guys are turning there, uh, I do want to make one point that we're going to be kind of looking at for the next couple of weeks um, and it's this, the, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, brings change. And I may have actually said that wrong in what you're seeing, but the coming of the Holy Spirit brings change. So we see that in the apostles' life, and we see that in the people who are listening. So this week what we're going to look at is the change the Holy Spirit brings to the apostles uh, as well as the change the Holy Spirit brings to us. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at that change the change of sin to salvation and how we stand before the Lord. We're going to look at the, ch the change in our own lives and the view that we have in regards to sin, in regards to what God had to do in order for us to be redeemed and reconciled to him. But what that means for us as well when it comes to evangelism and how we preach and share the gospel and proclaim it to those around us. So we're going to take a look at change. And I want us to see through the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we read this passage for the next couple of weeks and we just sit in it, I want us to see that 
and hope in that change can come. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what family's life may be going on, friends. You might be in dire situations. I want you to know that change can come. And change comes through the Holy Spirit. And that's the hope that we can have as believers in Christ. We can see people saved. We can see boldness in our church. We can see the growth of our church. Because guys, and I'll repeat this multiple times this morning, the Holy Spirit that changed the apostles lives in us. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 11, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And so we can have the same boldness, we can have the same heart and passion, and we can have the hope that the Holy Spirit can work just as he did in Pentecost. And we can rest in that, knowing that it's not our works, but the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you guys will follow along with me, we're going to read through this whole passage. Seems like a lot, but it's a pretty fun story, so we're going to roll with it. Starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. What, can I just stop right there? I love the fact that Peter doesn't actually address the drinking. Like, what Peter does, he's like, these guys aren't drunk because it's nine o'clock in the morning. Like, so instead of going the route of drinking's a sin, like, how dare you, like, confuse us for being drunk? How dare you even think about alcohol? Old Testament was juice, not, not wine. Instead of going and being very pharisaical, what he does is he says, no, these dudes aren't drunk. And he just goes on and he continues to preach. Just, just a little tidbit there. But this is what he said. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of a lawless man. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Lord, thank you. As we sang, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. You bring us out of the darkness into the marvelous light by your saving grace and your mercy to sinners. And Lord, all who call upon your name will be saved. And Lord, we praise you for that. We long for that to happen in our church, in our city, in our state, and in the ends of the earth. And so we pray this morning that you would grow our affections for you. That we wouldn't see our sin as something that is standing in front of us, but we would see the cross, and then we would see the mighty power of Jesus. And in that power, we would be emboldened to go and preach his name, emboldened to preach the hope and mercy and grace that we have been shown through him. And Lord, teach us through Paul or Peter's sermon this morning. Teach us the love and grace and mercy that you've shown us. We thank you for it, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, when we think about Pentecost, and we think about the guy who just preached it, Peter, if we think about two months prior to Pentecost, Peter is the guy who just denied Jesus, right? Luke tells us in Luke 22 that Jesus was actually so close to Peter that on the third denial, Peter was actually able to see his face. So when you think about a guy who may not want to step up in a situation like this, it might be Peter, right? You would think that with this multitude of people, Peter would shrink back. Peter might not be the one to step up because look at his track record. But what I want to submit to you today and what I want to look at is the coming of the Holy Spirit changes not only Peter, but those 11 apostles as well 
who scattered when Jesus was arrested. The Holy Spirit took men who were cowards, who ran, feared for their lives, and even went back to their original jobs when Jesus' body wasn't found in the grave. These men who you would not think would be the ones to stand up in front of thousands of people to proclaim the gospel all of a sudden change. And I have to ask myself the question, what happened? Why? And it's because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit come in a rushing wind, brings tongues of fire and boldness to proclaim the resurrection of Christ. That is the only way that a man who denied Jesus, even to his face, would ever have the power to go and preach the gospel to 3,000 plus people. And the reason I bring that up this morning is because we can be like Peter. We can be fearful of what we may not know. We can be fearful of the sin that we have in our lives. We can be ashamed of who we are in the time of our life, and we don't have the courage or the, what we think is the power to go and preach the gospel to those around us. But as I said earlier, as Paul says in Romans 8, that same spirit that gave Peter the power as well as the emboldenment to preach the gospel of Christ, that same power lives in us. We too have that same power. So why don't we tap into it? What causes us to not embrace what we've been called to do to share the gospel of Christ. What I also think is interesting in this sermon is how, Paul, how Peter addresses the crowd. So if you start to look at what Peter says, in verse 14 he says, men of Judea and Jerusalem. And then in verse 22 he says, men of Israel. And then he gets a little bit more closer to them and says, brothers and he closes out in verse 36 and says, house of Israel. What he's doing is he's seeing the crowd in front of him. He's recognizing that he is preaching to a multitude of Jewish people. And he starts to contextualize his message. He starts to recognize what they have in common. And he goes to the Old Testament. Because he knows that those people have grown up just like him, memorizing the Old Testament text seeing what Joel and David and the other prophets had to say. And he goes, hey guys, everything we learned in little Hebrew school, everything we memorized, all of that points to Jesus. I know what you learned because I learned it too, and therefore I'm going to point you to Jesus. And he contextualizes the gospel so that they understand that everything that they've learned growing up, everything that they're familiar with points to Christ. Now, you may say, okay, what does that have to do with me? Because we're not technically preaching to a bunch of Jews. We're Gentiles, unless you have a Jewish mother, and then you probably are a Jew. So, anyways, how it applies to us is this. We still have the same ability to contextualize the gospel where we are. One of the reasons that I read this whole passage before we started was because I wanted you to see that Peter didn't use lofty words, he didn't use wise rhetoric or even engage in some type of theological debate 
for them to see Christ. What he did was he recognized who was in front of him. He recognized where their past would be. And he took that and pointed it to the gospel. Yet how often do we tend to make it harder than it seems? How often do we put ourselves in shackles in fear of preaching the gospel because we don't know what to say? We might sound stupid. We're not a preacher. We're not a pastor. Whatever it may be. And we have fear of preaching instead of going out and doing what God has called us to do. We don't. Now, I'm not saying that you need to get up on a soapbox in the middle of uh, Fountain Square or, I mean, even in the mall. I don't want you to get up on the escalators and just start yell, repent and believe. Although, Jonah did actually do that, which is ironic. And the Ninevites got saved. Anyways, it, it could work. What I'm trying to show you, though, is that Peter understands his audience. He understands who he's talking to, and he uses that knowledge to get to Christ. The example I used uh, multiple times was actually quite funny. Uh, a pastor that I listened to, when his car would break down on the side of the road, he'd call a tow truck. And once he got into that tow truck with that driver, he knew that it was just him and that person. And they weren't getting out of the car until they got to where they needed to go, right? And he would ask the driver, have you ever seen The Matrix? The odd question. If you guys haven't seen The Matrix, I'm sorry. Like, it's a great movie. Go see it. But Neo is the one to save all mankind, right? Everybody in the matrix, Neo is that guy who's going to save them. And so this pastor would ask the question, do you think that there actually is one person that could save all mankind? And based on their answer, he would get to the gospel. That's contextualization. That's understanding the world around you and getting to Christ. That's, it. That's easy. You don't have to see the matrix to see that all of our movies, all of our stories, anything that's ever written has a Christ-like figure. And that's because Ecclesiastes tells us there's eternity written on our hearts. And so when we understand that, and we understand that we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to give us boldness, we can reach people where they're at based on contextualization, based on understanding that I live in this world and so do you, so let's meet in the middle and try to get to Christ. The second thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing, not only does the Holy Spirit change the apostles from cowards to bold men, we see that there's change now for sinners like you and I. There's change from sin to salvation through the blood of Christ. See, Peter's preaching to this audience a message that ultimately got Jesus killed, if you understand that. Like, that's an it's just an interesting thing that he's going to get up and preach the same message that Jesus just died for. But in his boldness, he doesn't hold back. Specifically in verse 23, he says this, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of lawless men. How crazy is that? I, I don't think anybody is going to get up in front of people you don't know, thousands of people you don't know, and say, hey, guess what? You killed Christ. Now repent in belief. 
Repent and be saved. But that's what he did. Now, there are some debates, and I'm going to land in the middle on this. There are some debates that the people that Peter was speaking to weren't actually at Passover yelling, crucify Christ. I tend to think that there's got to be some people that were there. The Jewish people loved events. Two months ago, they were at Passover. They come back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. You've got to think that there are some people who were there yelling, crucify Christ, now in that crowd. But as we see 3,000 got saved, we could assume that there's at least double that amount. So you've got 6,000 people that Peter could be talking to, some of them who've never heard of Jesus, and he says to all of them, you crucified Christ by handing him over to a lawless man. Now hearing that, if I heard that, I'd think, wait a minute, how did I do this? But look at verse 39. Peter says that this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. So what we see in this promise is that the gospel call is for everyone. And so if the gospel call is for everyone, that means that everyone, including you and I today, put Christ on the cross. Our sin put Christ on the cross. It's a global call. And this message just wasn't for the Jews that day. 2,000 years later, this message is about you and I. Our need for salvation and redemption from sin. And we need to recognize that it is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53 tells us he took our pain and bore our sufferings. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Our sin put him there. Our rebellion, our cheating, our refusal to do things God's way, our own selfishness, our pride, our hatred, our gossip, our porn addiction, our lying, all of it put Christ on the cross. And we sing this truth anytime we sing how deep the Father's love. The line goes, man, it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was our sin that put Christ on the cross. But the beauty of Peter's sermon is that it doesn't just stop there. The beauty of Peter's sermon was that God had a plan from the beginning of time in order to make a way for our sin. In order for us to be saved. For those who call upon the name of the Lord. And guys, this is the great exchange. It is him who knew no sin, who became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the power to change. It's the gospel. It's salvation for all who believe. And all of this was for God's glory. And he overcame our hatred and our sin with his divine love by putting Christ on the cross. And if you hear anything this morning, I want you to hear that. And if you haven't trusted in Christ for your salvation, if you haven't repented and believed in him as Lord, 
don't leave here this morning without placing your hope in Christ. I know most of you in here, but I will never assume where you stand before the Lord. But I want you to know that the gospel is for all who believe. So we see a change of sin to salvation in Peter's message. The boldness of the Holy Spirit calling him to preach salvation to sinners. And the last point I want to make this morning, and this is kind of where we're going to close, and yes, by close, I mean we're probably going to focus on it for like 10, 15 minutes. I'll be honest with you. It's an open-ended close. But this week as I walked through this sermon, man, I was wrecked. I read this sermon early this week, and I was like, man, we're, we're going we're gonna to preach on the fact that the, the message is still the same, which this sermon's message is still the same. God has provided a way for sinners, and those who believe will be forgiven, and the Holy Spirit will fall upon them, right? That's still the same. But as I continue to read over it, as I continue to stew on it, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And so when I started to sit back and think about that verse 23, that my sin put Christ on the cross, I started to think about how sin affects me. And I saw that my sin affects me in multiple ways, but two that stuck out were that I take sin too seriously and I don't take sin seriously enough. So I want to end on these two things and kind of go over that. Because sin is intrinsic within us. It affects everything we do. It is so serious that God had to send a perfect, righteous gift in Christ for us to be saved. Sin isn't just something that we try to get better at or not do or put away, but sin is something that affects everything we do. John Owen says that if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. And so as I read that passage this week, that's what kept going on in my head. Is that if I don't kill sin, sin will kill me. And so the first thing that I thought of in taking sin too seriously, before I get into it, I want you to say, I, I'm not advocating that you don't take sin seriously. I'm not advocating that you don't fight to put sin to death. But what I am saying is this. Oftentimes when we do sin, we put ourselves in this woe is me, dreary, weary route that God doesn't love us because we fill in the blank. Because we did this or we did that, how could God love me? And we put this weight on ourselves that is not meant for us to bear. I've heard it many times. I've heard the saying, how can God love me after I've committed this sin? How can God look upon me with anything but disgust? And the answer to that question is this. It's the cross of Christ. And so when we take sin too seriously that weighs us down, it begins to affect how we view everything in this world. I know for me that it affects how I read the word. It doesn't get me into my prayer life because I think that God is too upset with me. It doesn't allow me to engage with people around me because I feel like if they knew the real me, they wouldn't hear the gospel. But guys, there is no sin that the blood of Christ doesn't cover. 
God didn't save you because he knew you would be sinless after you got saved. The beauty of Peter's sermon is that God had a plan to save knowing you would still sin after you got saved. He saw you before the foundation of the earth. He saw the real you. The you that if we put your thoughts up on this screen, you would be embarrassed to be in this room. He saw that and he still chose to save you. Guys, believing in Jesus means more than just getting baptized, going to church, or trying to be a good person. Believing in Jesus means first admitting that you are a sinner and acknowledging that there is no way you can earn God's approval by your works. And secondly, it means believing that Jesus paid the full penalty of your sin when he died on that cross. And so when you do sin, when you do stumble, when you do fall, God is not calling wrath upon you. He still delights in you. He still holds your hand and trying to pick you up out of the muck and the mire saying, I love you. And two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward and God delights in that. So yes, take sin seriously. Fight to put it to death. But don't let it weigh you down. Don't let it deceive you that you are not in God's family, that God doesn't delight in you. No power of man and no scheme, no power of man, no scheme of hell will ever pluck you from his hand. And guys, I've said it before, your own schemes can't pluck you from God's hand. So take sin seriously, but don't take it too seriously. And the second thing that I looked at this week when it comes to sin that could kill you is that I don't take it serious enough in my own life when it comes to evangelism. And here's what I mean by that. This week, I, I had a lot of repenting to do because I asked myself, where in this sermon does this apply to me? And I recognize that I don't take sin serious enough to engage with those around me, to evangelize with people that God has put in my circles. I have managed to see my sin so serious in my life that I need to preach the gospel to myself, but I've watered down other people's sins as if they don't need that same grace, as if they don't need that same hope, as if they're not walking in darkness. And so I don't take the sin of people around me as serious as I, as I should. I don't see that God had to put Christ on the cross and showing me that sin is serious enough that if people don't hear it, they do go to hell. It's not just some ethereal thing that they'll be not with us in eternity. They'll be separated from God. And I saw that I didn't take that as serious as I should. And so I stand before you, a sinner, repenting, asking you to hold me accountable, but recognizing that I've watered down the sin that God sent Christ to the cross for when it comes to evangelizing others. There's a parable in Matthew 24 that talks about three servants who received talents. And I'm not talking about like America's Got Talent. Like, 
like sing and dance and all that stuff. Maybe it was, but no, no. These talents are described as a monetary value. These talents are worth somebody's wage for 20 years. So there's worth, there's value to these things given to these servants. And each servant was given a set amount, and then the boss rolled out. And he said, take care of these talents. And he came back, and he asked those three servants, what'd you do with what I gave you? One of the servants came back and said, I, I tripled what you gave me. And the second servant said, I doubled what you gave me. And the third ser- servant said, I just, I mean, I took it to the ground. I buried it so I didn't lose it. And what the boss did to that third servant was call him slothful and wicked. And he even ends by saying, throw him into the utter darkness. And guys, this parable shows us that we have something greater than monetary value when we understand the hope of the gospel we have within us. But we are like that slothful, wicked servant that hasn't gone out and done anything when we don't share that same hope. When we don't take the sin of others serious enough that they need the hope of Christ. And this world needs that hope. People in our neighborhoods need that hope. So my challenge to you is if you, I mean, if you don't know your neighbors, and I'm not just talking about their names. I'm talking about you know, where they grew up, how many kids they have or they don't have, if they've been married, not married, where they work. My challenge is to, to be able to share life and the gospel so that you can share that hope with others. And it's going to take some boldness. But guys, we have the promised Holy Spirit within us to share that gospel. If Peter, who denied Jesus, can get up in front of thousands of people and share the gospel with people he doesn't know, from the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do the same with those around us. By seeking and being intentional about who God has placed in our circle of influence, whether it be our jobs, our homes, our neighborhoods. Man, we're creatures of habit. We continue to go back to the same places, right? And so we're going to continue to see those same people. So we should take that boldness where we go. And whether it's a believer or non-believer that you may be talking to, everybody needs more of Jesus. So that's my challenge to you guys this morning as we look at the boldness that changed Peter. And what's interesting for me this week was as our community group, we call them community groups, right? Yeah, community groups now. It's, I'm gonna, it's gonna take a while to get over that. Um, the challenge that kind of continued to hit me as I was mulling over this passage was found in James. It's the last verse. It says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, a sin, whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Guys, for those who believe in Christ, we have to recognize that we were once that wanderer. We were once that person who was far off, having no hope until God called us to himself through the preaching of the gospel from somebody else. 
who, someone who had the boldness to share Christ with us so that we could have that same hope. We need to take that to others. We need to recognize that other people's sin is leading them to hell, and there is no hope if they don't hear the gospel of Christ. Our call isn't just to be inclusive in here. Our call is to go out and share the gospel with others. And the only way that it will happen is if we feel burdened for those God has placed around us. So this morning I want to ask you a question before we close out, before we go into our time of confession and worship the Lord. How are you burdened? How are you burdened for those around you? And how are you going to begin to seek the boldness that has empowered you through the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit who empowered a man who was once a coward and denied Jesus, if he empowered him to boldly preach the gospel of Christ and 3,000 people got saved, what can he do through you and I? I'm not saying that there's a A plus B equals 3,000 people get saved type of equation. What I am saying is that we are called to be bold. We are called to share the gospel of Christ with those around us. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do the same thing that Peter and the apostles did on that day. And he calls us to that same message. And band, if you want to come down, we can start to close out. He calls us to that same message, to preach that same gospel that Peter preached, that those who believe on the Lord will be saved, their sins will be forgiven, and the gift of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So how are you burdened this morning? And what's stopping you from preaching that Christ? What's stopping you from going out and sharing the hope with others who God has placed around you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at